I need to get one FM Talk Podcast. The following is a paid program. This is High on Health 97.1. This is co-host Steve Harvey. I'm here with Eric Beto-Robert at the board. What's going and, on, Steve? Uh, not much. How about you, Eric? Yeah, you welcome, welcome to the captain's chair. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad to be here. You getting yeah. comfortable over there? I think I am. I, yeah. I, I got, got the training wheels taken off today. And, Wonderful. And we're in good shape. First time doing this show uh, without uh, without you know, with Dr. Jones is on vacation. Yeah. Hope he's having a great time. So. Yeah. So we have brought in a very special guest today. We sure have. Yes. So, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the topic for the day. Let's do that. Let's do that. So uh, yeah, today we have uh, we have Dr. Jerry Kreisman. Say hi, Dr. Kreisman. Hi there. Hello. Good to be with you, Steve. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. So glad you're here with us. So so Dr. Kreisman is not just any psychiatrist. Dr. Kreisman <laughs> is a world-renowned expert on borderline personality disorder and borderline personality disorder is something that uh, is as he's going to tell us is is very common uh something that uh, we probably deal with people who have that disorder on a on a on a relatively frequent basis and dr christman is um is uh famous for being author of the book i hate you don't leave me which has been uh, among the bestsellers and has uh, been translated into how many languages has that book been translated into uh, five, six, German, Chinese, Japanese, Romanian, a few others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you know it's a big deal when they translate it into a, whole, into a whole bunch of different languages. Well, as you said, I'm not any psychiatrist, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so Dr. Kreisman has been on uh, Sally Jesse Raphael. He's been on, been on Oprah. And uh, today... Today, he has reached the peak of his career because he's That's here right. with us <laughs> That's on right. Ion Health. It was really the Oprah appearance that, that got our attention. We said, uh, well, maybe <laughs> yeah. Dr. Kreisman is, yes. is worthy of Saturday morning talk radio. Exactly. If, if he can pull off Oprah, we, he'll be okay here. It, yeah. I, 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 that's exactly what I was. I mean, you can pull off <laughs> Oprah, you can pull off this. So, so I get, before we get into the main topic, I guess what, what I want to know, and I think this is also what the audience wants to know, is how did you get on Oprah? How did that happen? Well, How, did the, you just call that, up Oprah and say, no, "Hey, no, I, <laughs> no." When the first book came out, the uh-huh. um, the publishers were had a very active um, publishing and uh, yeah PR route, and they made the calls. and uh, They called me one day and said, "We've got interest from uh, Geraldo Rivera and uh, Oprah. Which do you want to do one of those?" Wow! So cool. I didn't want to throw a chair at anybody, so I decided <laughs> yeah. to, we'd do the Oprah thing, and that was fun. That's now, cool. So Oprah didn't let you throw chairs? No. No. Now, Dr. Kreisman, is your practice local here to St. Louis? What's, you know, yeah. for, from a logistics standpoint, what, where do you typically uh, operate? I've been here in St. Louis. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 So what, what what was it like being on the Oprah show? Can you tell us what, what that was like? Like, were you, were, were you nervous or was it relaxed or what was it like there? Well, I think anytime you do something, including today, you uh-huh. get the, your butterflies in your stomach, of course. Yeah. Um, but it was a very, I mean, she was very nice to me. She was kind of, st- compared to some of the others, maybe a little more standoffish with her uh, audience. Um, 
Say it ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> she's a busy lady. Yeah, she's very uh, busy. But, yeah, you know, people like Sally Jesse were more likely during the commercial breaks to interact, to ask what they wanted to ask the doctors, and um, got sort of more feedback, I guess, at that time. Yeah. Well, speaking of interacting with the doctors, you are mm-hmm. welcome to interact with us here on the air on uh, Ion Health. Give us a call at 314-241-9797 or 866-455-9797. Now, we're going to cover a couple uh, topics and articles in the first couple segments here, but if you mm-hmm. call us now, we'd love to get you lined up to act, uh, ask either Dr. Harvey or Dr. Kreisman whatever your questions are regarding borderline personality disorder. Maybe you've dealt with things in your family, uh, with acquaintances, you're, you're you know looking for some uh, expert guidance in this area or just get a better understanding of exactly what the issues are, uh, we'd love to take your calls again at 314-241-9797. All right. While we're waiting for the calls to come in. So, so Dr. Kreisman, can you tell us uh, what is, kind of, if you can start with the basics here, uh, like what is borderline personality disorder? How is it defined? What, what is it? Well, borderline personality disorder is a syndrome defined in psychiatry as a constellation of uh, symptoms from patients, and it stems uh, from usually a past experience of trauma, of of um, abuse many in many cases, and such people kind of have lost a sense of nuance in how they see the world. There's a tendency to not to see things in extremes of black or white, right or wrong, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, if as a friend they may love you beyond reason on Monday and hate you without measure on Tuesday. Ah, hence the title of your book. I hate you. Don't leave me. Yeah, yes. abandonment concerns are there. These are people who have significant mood swings that depend on the environment. If they're they get a compliment at work, they feel ecstatic, and if two seconds later the coffee machine is broken down, they may get furious and rageful uh, and depressed. Uh, they can be impulsive in self-destructive behaviors, abuse drugs. Oftentimes, these are people who cut on themselves, burn themselves when they get uh, emotionally upset. Um, yeah. And relationships get very entangled because of the extreme ways of how they respond to themselves and to others. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess there's a lot of people around who uh, who at least partially meet that definition or who, or who have some of those features. But... Um, Everybody knows somebody with borderline features. I have friends like that. I don't yes. know anybody who doesn't know people who can yeah. respond in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as far as, as, far as people who have it uh, severely enough to, to meet those criteria, well, I guess there's like nine criteria and you have to meet four of them or five? Five, five, five. five, five. Good thing I'm not taking the boards right now. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that. So you got to do five. Five out of nine to meet criteria. So any idea how, how common this is? How, what... what uh, what percentage of the human population has borderline personality disorder? Well, depending on which study you believe in, it varies from 3 to as much as 6% of the population, much more than the disorders people think about, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia mm-hmm. or um, some of the other kind of uh, common uh, illnesses that people think about. And in psychiatry itself, it constitutes, it constitutes as much as 20% of people who are inpatients in a hospital, 10% of outpatients. Yeah. And, of course, these are people who can be very self-destructive and threaten suicide and, and engage in suicidal behavior and suicide. The yeah. um, uh, rate of suicide in this approach is 10% in people with the diagnosis. Wow. Is this re- yeah, it's, it's really high. Yeah, yeah. And I know as a, 
you know, I think uh, me and other psychiatrists have always been, uh, you know, have always kind of recognized borderline personality disorder as something that's especially difficult uh, to take care of. You know, having a having two or three people with borderline personality disorder in our practice is can can be exhausting. So to to me, you're, you're like the guy that's running into the burning building, you know, because <laughs> because it is not easy to take care of this of this condition. I mean, I mean, of course. You know, this condition is something that that you know they that ought to be ought to be treated the the best we can but it's uh it's very difficult and to do what what is it that, that made you interested in this particular uh disorder my first exposure was in medical school at cornell uh with um dr masterson had an adolescent group and then later on i found that as you said, doctors tended to stay away from them. They were exhausting. And I find many of them intriguing and able to do very well in spite of what is traumatic uh, background. So I, I found that they were really interesting, although with a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, right. uh, we will be back on Ion Health. And next, we're going to talk about uh, some articles that uh, <laughs> Dr. Harvey's brought up in this vein, as well as you know other things in your questions regarding borderline personality disorder. This is Ion Health on FM News Talk 97.1. We're back. This is 97.1 Ion Health. I'm, uh, I'm Dr. Steve Harvey. We have Eric Robert on the board. Uh, Dr. Jerry Kreisman is our guest. Uh, Dr. Michael Jones is on vacation. Hope he's having a good time. We're here today with Dr. Kreisman talking about borderline personality disorder. Uh, if uh, you can give us a call, 314-241-9797 for questions. Uh, we, can, we can be taking questions pretty soon and continuing our discussion of our main topic. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to take a little side tour. Okay. Going to take a little side yeah. tour here. Yeah. We're going to going to go go off a little on the side here. We we often have a uh a side topic which uh typically on this show what we've done is, you know, Dr. Jones and Eric Robert have brought uh articles on that have been in the popular press but uh, have been kind of misunderstood as far as the science behind the behind the article in the in the mainstream media. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this time. Instead of it being something in the mainstream media that's been misrepresented in the mainstream media, we're going to have something that's been on the science media, something that's been mm-hmm. uh, you know published in, in science journals uh, that has been uh, ignored by the mainstream media, which 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 they should be paying more attention to. Exactly it's weird how that works, right? To, yeah. The things yeah. that we should be paying attention to sometimes don't seem to make it. Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. Like like this article in particular, it has no mention of the Kardashians, and I think that's why. <laughs> that's part of it. That's why I did not see it anywhere on the media. No, well, it's no, also British. It's no. also British. Yeah. So yeah. it's London. It's so. London. So it's 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 way way the heck over there, but. Uh, to, to lead into this particular article is the you know Journal of the American Medical Association from just one or two months ago, and and the the topic that that addresses is for a lo- for decades we've known that uh, that schizophrenia mm-hmm. you know people with schizophrenia have hallucinations delusions it's a very disabling condition, and we've known for decades that schizophrenia is about twice as common in people who grow up in urban areas. Really? Yes compared to people who grow up in in the country. Huh. So if if you're country folk, you have, you know, half as much chance as someone who who grows up in the city. And for a long time we, science has wondered, you know, what the heck? Why? Yeah. You know, why, why yeah. would it be more, and, and you know, there have been theories about, you know, maybe it's more stressful or something sure. like that, but but it seems like, you know, 
where where you grow up as a kid seems to be a fairly big factor for it, whether or not you get schizophrenia. And to be clear, where you grow up as a kid. So it's not, you, you right. may grow up in a rural area, move to the city, and that wouldn't necessarily increase your risk factor? That is correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. as far as we know, if, if you if you grow up in the country and then you move to the city, you, you have you have the risk of a country person. All right, so I'm safe. So the okay. question, safe, where'd yeah. you go to high school, becomes relevant. <laughs> really it relevant. Does, yeah. It does, it yeah. does, it does. I've never uh, been so proud to be from Redbud High School. <laughs> yes. Very low risk for schizophrenia. Right, Rolla, okay. Missouri here, also in the country. Got a lot of so. other ailments down where, there. But Where'd you yeah. go to high school, Dr. Kreisman? <laughs> University City, of course. University you City. Go. So you so you, you, had, you had more higher risk then, so you're you're <laughs> off the hook, apparently. You, you did. That's right. There are exceptions, I'm afraid. It's, a, it's, it's the ultimate rejoinder for those of us who didn't go to like an elite high school. It's somebody asked you where you went to high school. It's like, well, you know, in those urban schools, <laughs> right, the right. schizophrenia is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the, the the world is getting more urban. You know, a bigger and bigger percentage of the world's population is in mm-hmm. the urban area. So it's an important question. And uh, and these particular researchers looked at one specific thing, which is air pollution. Sure. Just plain air pollution. And and they looked at different types of air pollution. And for one specific type of air pollution, they found a strong correlation with the risk of an adolescent getting psychotic symptoms in the future no and kidding no kidding what, what's all. the what what's the pollutant in specific that uh that seems to be the issue here it's nitrous oxides oh, okay. nitrous oxides which uh, chemists abbreviate as nox yeah, yeah 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 so so it's nitrous oxides uh and and the nitrous ox and the the study did control for other variables you know whether you grew up rich or poor male or female whatever sure and and the thing that was correlated was the amount of nitrous oxide in the location where you grew up. You know, basically the lo- where your home address was and sure. also where you went to school and you spent a lot of time with grandma. They would take that address into account. But they had a very high-resolution map uh, for how, how much of those pollutants were in the air in those locations. And that explained about 60% of the correlation. Holy cow. So, yeah, so it's not, uh, it's, it doesn't it's explain the whole thing. significant, yeah. Very, very significant, very significant. And I think as we, as time goes on, we got to ask ourselves, you know, we can't, we cannot live in a world free of pollution. That's just right. not going to work because we got to do stuff. But, um, but we also have to recognize what the costs are of that pollution and make make rational decisions based on that. Yeah. So it's, now it's one study, you know, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. we're looking at here. Is this something that has been uh, uh, duplicated in multiple studies now, or is it, you know, kind of where where on the threshold of how seriously you need to take the nitrous oxide levels in your urban location home does this study rank? Yeah, I'd I'd say uh, I I'd, I'd say medium high. I mean, okay. it has not been replicated in other big studies. There had been smaller studies before this mm-hmm. uh that had similar findings in the same ballpark but this was the uh this was the best and the biggest study um but it, it has has not been replicated in additional studies yet other than making the link are there any uh questions or, or, or potential suggestions as to what might the issue be what why nitrous oxide might cause uh, a higher level of schizophrenia in, in patients? Yeah, they, 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 they had some speculation about that. Of course, the, the study itself can't tell us that. It can only tell us the correlation. But the, but the, the possible cause is that nitrous oxides do, do cross the blood-brain barrier, uh-huh. and, you know, which is the, kind of what it sounds like. It's sure. the, the things, things get into your noggin from your bloodstream. Sure. That way. And, uh, and it can, can exacerbate or it can worsen 
inflammation. Mm. And we've known for a long time that, uh, you know, that there's kind of some mild inflammation going on and schizophrenia and other, and other psychiatric disorders. Uh, but they think it might have something to do with nitrous oxides, uh, causing some inflammation. Is it um, a reasonable assumption, not that the study draws this conclusion, that uh, it's just airborne pollution-based nitrous oxide? Are there other sources that may not be specific to an urban environment where someone could have exposure early in life that, that could be problematic here? Yeah, not, not that I know of. Okay. Not that I know. I think, you know, nit- nitrous oxides are a big part of smog in general, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but uh, I think as far as our lifetime exposure, I think it's pretty much just smog. I just think of the, yeah. you know, the, the Fast and the Furious movies with the <laughs> nitrous oxide in oh, the cars yeah. all the time, you know. That's, right, uh, right. So watch out if you have a tank in the back of your Civic or whatever it is. Yeah, don't don't yeah. breathe it when you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, th- I think this also points out the con- with concerns about environmental pollution that when you're thinking of trying to control the environment, this also has impact on mental health as well as worrying about our planet and the physical um, elements that come. This can have even earlier effects on our mental well-being. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just cancer. It's other stuff. No, we actually have a call from uh, Rita on line one. Rita has a question about bipolar disorder. Getting back to our topic du jour. Rita, Mm -hmm. what's your question for the doctors? Rita, are you there? Hello? Oh, oh I heard her. Rita, we got you. Hello? Yes. What's your question, Rita? Oh, okay. I have a question because I had no idea that it was this common. Can you tell, can you say again how common this is? Bipolar disorder specifically. Borderline correct? person. Oh, I'm sorry. Border, borderline personality disorder? Yes. Well, some studies are as much as 6% of the population. Okay, that was overwhelming when I heard you say that. Um, I have a question. Is there, uh, other than people who, and again, sometimes I think people are the last one to know, they themselves, what whatever the problem is, but, and of course family members can help, but um, what's really scaring me is how many people may be in, authoritative positions, whether it's in the government or in the judicial system or even in as teachers. I mean, this is so common now. Six percent is not it's a lot higher than I thought it was. Or even seriously in in the medical profession, um, I've read that a lot of people go into certain um, certain fields because they themselves have this problem in their families, whatever, whatever the problem is. What what how scary is this and what what is our best thing to do other than try to help them um, by encouraging them to come to to you or a doctor like you what is like is an intervention prevention something like that you raise some really difficult issues and I think everything you've said is is of concern many of these people certainly may not um, recognize some of the difficulties that they have, and they certainly can be successful in some areas. They can certainly be intelligent people. Many people with borderline symptoms do are kind of um, tend to favor helping professions sometimes, and they do go into uh, fields of therapy, and sometimes that can be helpful for them. Sometimes it can be very destructive. Um, because it gets too much about about them. Interventions just have to be uh, 
when something comes up, particularly with the relationships or destructive behaviors, hopefully at that point, something can be done. You know, one one population uh, Rita failed to mention was Saturday Talk Radio host. So I was, <laughs> we're still on the bubble there, right? Still on, still on the bubble. <laughs> this is Eye on Health, <laughs> FM News Talk 97.1. We'll be back with Drs. Harvey and Kreisman to talk about borderline personality disorder. All right. We're back. We are back. This is 97.1 uh, FM Talk Radio. Um Eye on Health. And we have in studio with us here, Dr. Jerry Kreisman. We're talking about borderline personality disorder. Uh, and as he's told us uh, just a little bit ago, it's uh, very common, very treatable. Um, tell us more. Tell us more. <laughs> what else do I need to say? Tell us more about this, Dr. Kreisman. I, I, a whole bunch of things I want to know about this. So how about, how about this one here? How about, so borderline personality disorder, is it, what causes it? What What makes people this way? Is it environmental is it genetic is it both what what up with that well the simple answer is evidence does seem to indicate that there are elements of both many people not all but many people have a history of significant trauma in childhood particularly common is sexual abuse uh in women uh, or men uh, but other traumas it's not a hundred percent but that but environmental does seem to do that it also does tend to genetically run in families the the incidence is more common if in in families so there appears to be some of both usually when it presents itself and this harks back to the read of the caller before is when it presents itself often what brings a person to the doctor is an accompanying disorder most often it's depression oh. it may be bipolar disorder maybe drug abuse uh, it may be somebody who's self-mutilating, cutting on themselves, yeah. or somebody's having some severe anxiety attacks. And usually borderline, uh, you know, unlike the cheese and the farmer in the Dell rarely stands alone. It's ah. usually got something else <laughs> yes. uh, with it. And so that'll bring bring them in. And you can treat with medicines, of course, the depression or the bipolar disorder that may accompany, but there doesn't appear to be pharmacological treatment specific for person any of the personality disorders yeah, there's no pill for that no so no. usually there have been designed some various uh, documented therapy approaches that can be very helpful yeah yeah and i was going to ask you so so that actually works how, how does how uh how does one do therapy to help someone who has borderline personality disorder how, how does that work and what's the theory behind it and how successful is it well, there are a lot of different theories and there are a lot of different approaches. Some are from a more psychodynamic kind of situation that are based more on adjust modification of psychoanalytic theory that has to do with what's called uh, transference focus therapy, where it has to do with just relationships. Some have promoted what's basically called just good psychiatric management, which mm -hmm. primarily ends up just hanging in there. Being a consistent yeah. person, one of the few often in a in a borderline's life, yeah, yeah. Um, because they, uh, it's hard for people to stick with them, be given the erratic behavior. So, a doctor who can just stay in there and be and keep his patients is an important part of it. There, there are behavioral techniques too. The most common is dialectical behavioral therapy, um, but there are some others that are variations too, where it's really deals more intensively with some of the behaviors and the co and cognitively dealing with it, or what's called mentalization-based therapy, which has to do with trying to understand the motivations, not only of the person's behavior, but those around them. 
you know, one of the one of the themes with a lot of the psychiatric issues that Dr. Harvey we discussed with you and have for the last several years as mm-hmm. you've come on as a guest mm-hmm. is uh, there's there's often misinformation in the public consciousness as to what it actually is. And you kind of mm-hmm. described some of the behaviors, you know, one can expect with borderline personality disorder. But let's say um, you, you know, you're not a doctor. You have someone or some ones in your life that you're going, there's some weird behavior here. I can't put put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. Like, what would that what would that experience be like for a family member or a loved one where you're going, maybe you should be thinking about borderline personality disorder and talking to the right specialist? What, what would you be looking for there? The kinds of behaviors that I think a loved one would experience would be, first of all, inappropriate anger. Gee, I said something that really was a minor thing, and they stood up and screamed and yelled and stormed out of the out of the room. And I thought, whoa, that is way beyond it. Or when I found their moods just varying uh, extremely, where uh, they went from feeling really very happy to suddenly saying they felt very depressed mm-hmm. and, and withdrawn. Um, imp- being really impulsive like that, I think those are kind of signs where you start to say, gee, they're so moody all the time. Sure. Um, or the, and, and again, the anger and the, the, the rage that goes on. And, some, and the clingy behavior oftentimes is something where um, they'll call you in the middle of the night just to make sure everything's okay and um, get upset if you're going to be leaving town, say, for a while. Um, that those are the kinds of things that a person might begin to think there may be borderline features. And, and as a layman, some of the things that you've described there, I, I would have associated with bipolar disorder. What's the difference? What would be dif- a differentiation between borderline personality disorder versus bipolar disorder? And that's really a great question because people confuse it all the time, particularly because borderline is more common than, than bipolar sure. disorder. The main difference in bipolar disorder is the way we define it, which is a primitive way in psychiatry that we define our illnesses. But the way currently we do it is bipolar disorder, first of all, lasts for periods of days or weeks. It is not necessarily related to the environment. Um, It alternates. um, And it has more of a biological genetic component to it. Borderline personality is a whipsaw of emotions that go from, from one to the other and are more often related to the environment. It's something that happens to them, makes them feel wonderful or feel horrible, and it can change in in moments. Interesting. So bipolar is going to be more like a, a mood that sets in for some period of time. Yes. You're not going to have, they, they just got upset because they dropped a fork in the kitchen and got really upset and then were ecstatic because, you know, they saw the two-year-old walk down the hallway or something. Exactly. In, in the blink of an eye. Exactly. Um, we have a couple callers. Dr. Harvey, do you have any other questions you'd like to tackle first? Yeah, no other co- no other questions. Let's take the callers. Right. Well, first we have Melissa. Melissa, you have a, a comment re- regarding uh, borderline personality disorder. Hi. Um, yes. Um, I was actually, what made me call was the first caller. I understand her point about the fear. Um, the thing is, I and I think like most people, she's uninformed and uneducated about it. Um, I actually have borderline personality disorder myself. Um, the thing is, I had years of intensive therapy. It was a dialectical behavior therapy, and I feel very, very lucky to have had it. Um, I feel it was very successful, and it really sort of rewires your brain and your way of thinking and your way of responding to your feelings and everything. 
And now I'm living a completely different life. I'm able to live life, whereas before it was it was pretty hard for me. But I just want her to know or people like her to know that it can, I don't know if cure is the right word, but it can be, it can kind of feel that way. Um, and you can, you can go on to pursue it, all sorts of professions. I'm in the medical field myself. Right now I'm doing medical billing. Um, but in the past I was more hands-on in the medical field. And I guess that's pretty much all I wanted to say. That's awesome, though. That's, Melissa, so things are thank a lot you for better. calling. That's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful story to share. Dr. Kreisman? Melissa, you, you, you exhibit a great deal of courage in, in sharing your experience, and you are yes. exactly right. One of the stigma, the severe stigma that has carried borderline personality for decades is the idea that these are people who are never going to get better, that there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it. Many mental health professionals have over the years been very discouraged, don't want to deal with it. But there are very specific treatments, including DBT, which was so helpful. And indeed, 90% of people with borderline personality disorder get better over time. Right. And um, you're a wonderful example, and it's wonderful for people to hear what you just talked about. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling. Yeah, thanks for calling. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And we have uh, Joan on line two who has a rejoinder on uh, the difference between borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. Joan? Cool. Uh, yes. Hello? Yeah. What's your We're question? Here. Yes. Um, well, I had the question and then it was asked. Oh, okay. So you're good <laughs> to go. <laughs> um, but so like would borderline be more like the Jekyll Hyde, you know, like when somebody just kind of flips on you, like as opposed to... I don't know, a more like you were saying, the longer period of time of depression and then elation. Yeah, I think it is more of the flip. Um, that that again depends on what the particular interaction is. In bipolar mania, for example, a person has boundless energy, may not sleep for days, um, and and then when when that person gets depressed, again, it may go on for for weeks where they don't get out of bed. With, with borderline personality, more typically, you're just seeing these kinds of changes. And usually you don't have as much of the physical characteristics. People with borderline personality are generally not people who are going to be up for days at a time or people who are going to be in bed for days at a time. Their moods are going to be much more uh, volatile. Gotcha. And to Jekyll and Hyde, just as you said. Thank you for the call, Joan. So, yeah, whenever we're looking at borderline personality disorder, um, you, one of the therapies that you, that you mentioned and, and uh, Melissa, the caller mentioned that she was successful with, was it was a dialectic? Can you can you state that? I'm not, I'm the layman here. So what was the therapy? And, and maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, d- and, uh, and dumb, it, dumb it down for us a little yeah. bit, Dr. Kreisman. Dialectical behavior therapy, it's really hard to explain in about 10 seconds. Sure, here. sure. You've got <laughs> um, a little bit of time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The dialectic refers um, to a number of things, but one of the primary things that is important for anybody to understand, I think, is that for all of us, we have a goal of to try to make ourselves better and simultaneously accept who we are now. And that's that's a dialectic, That's which means it's an opposite contradiction. And that's one of the theories that it goes on. Dialectal behavior therapy is a very intensive therapy that deals with specific behaviors, particularly in the number one priority is suicidal behavior. And they t- keep a journal. They have weekly 
individual therapy. They have weekly group therapy. And it focuses not so much on the underlying causes, but more on the behaviors. Um, that if I'm feeling like I want to cut on myself, what am I going to do specifically? And what am I going to write in my journal? What am I going to tell my therapist? What are the other ways I can deal with that rage feeling that I have that would normally cause me to take a knife and cut my arms? That Dealing with those specific behaviors is the focus of it. So there's a journaling aspect. You're documenting things in real time so that way when you get back to your therapy session, you can work through some of that regardless of maybe the result in the moment to talk through how could that have gone otherwise? Is that a fair yes. summary? And in classical which is hard really to, to do, is you also have somebody who's available that you can call anytime. Ah, I see. Okay. Well, very good. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the great things about this, like like that one caller demonstrated to us, is that the treatment actually works. So yes. like 90% actually get better. So yes. That's, that's and great. many get better even without treatment. Yeah. There's yeah. a certain maturing out of it. What Without therapy, though, what becomes really the most difficult of the aspects of borderline personality is some of the interpersonal part. Hmm. That's where therapy, I think, helps the most in terms of understanding other people better and understanding themselves a little bit better. Yeah, but, but on the average, people tend to get better even without yeah. treatment, it sounds yeah, like. Thank so, yeah. 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 Well, in, we, in medicine, yeah. yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. In medicine, that's true. Thank goodness. Well, we've got a number of other callers on the line, 314-241-9797 or 866-455-9797. If you have a question for the doctors today, this is Ion Health, FM News Talk 97.1. We're back on Ion Health, 97.1 FM, KTFK, and we have uh, Dr. Kreisman in the chair here, and we're going to take calls from some callers. We're talking about borderline personality disorder. That's some, right. Yeah. And we have uh, Johnny on line one. Johnny, what's your question for the doctors today? Well, uh, I had a 13-year marriage to someone that I didn't discover it was borderline until the last few years, and I found out about it by a book from Randy Krieger that at that time said there's no way to resolve this. You just have to cope. And now you're telling me that there is an answer. So what I'm interested in is while I was in a marriage with this person, we had twins. They were diagnosed with ADHD. So you can imagine the whirlwind of trouble that I had during this whole period. Oh. <laughs> and, um, Later on, one of them was diagnosed with a form of OCD called Pure O, and I don't know how much of this was genetic, heredity, and I know you can't, uh, you know, just give me a three-sentence answer to resolve all this, but I'm just wondering what can be done to help the children um, they don't even want to go to get counseling because they think nobody understands. And I don't know if this is uh, BPD in the making or just some associated <laughs> problem, but they both show high forms of anxiety. One of them's able to cope with it better than the other, but it can't keep going ignored or else things are going to get worse. Well, any resources or how can I find out more about your uh, association so that I can probe into this whole thing even deeper? Uh, well, actually, Randy Krager wrote the forward to my last book, uh, which is called Talking to a Loved One with Borderline Personality Disorder. 
Um, and I, I'm sure if you talk to her today, she would agree with me that BPD is very treatable. Uh, some of the earlier works, she may have reflected some other things, but she would agree with me today, I'm sure. I know she would. Okay. Um, there is a lot of crossover because some of the symptoms of BPD are kind of do cross over into other disorders. We've already talked about that, you know, they're the mood swings of bipolar disorder. ADHD is characterized by impulsivity. Sometimes people with ADHD can be anxious and moody. Um, they could certainly coexist. One can be confused with the other. There certainly are some genetic elements. Kids going through a divorce, of course, just have their own uh, uh, difficulties, of course. That's always going to be uh, a bit of a struggle. The best thing you can do, I think, and it sounds like you're trying to do that, is um, you know, have them see the, the people, their, their doctors who are helping them and giving them the and now that they're now that they're 22, I can't uh, make them go to the doctor, though. So no, no, of course not. Um, I don't know what to do. I think the best thing you can do, for, as any parent can do, is tell them your concerns, uh, encourage them to take care of themselves. And um, at some point, when it begins to be less of an issue of uh, rebelling against what you're saying and more of a matter of, gee, maybe, maybe I ought to take care of this, that's when they'll usually go for help. And One they still of them deal did with go their mother, to a psychiatrist. Good. And uh, they gave him, I don't know if it was Wellbutrin or something, but after a few, couple months, he just gave up because he said it wasn't helping, and then he wasn't willing to let the doctor experiment on him. He's really tormented with thoughts that no matter what he thinks, a competing thought interrupts him and tells him, no, you're doing it wrong. If you don't do it this way instead, you're going to have a lot of consequences. And they could, they, none of them even pertain to reality. It's like last week he drove up to a gas pump and a voice told him, no, you need to drive to the other gas pump or else this ain't something bad's going to happen. And I'm um, like, that sounds like a different diagnosis. Yeah, you're right. Well, be true would yeah. not be the medicine for him. He ought to see a different doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would say something other than Wellbutrin. Yes. Johnny, thank you for the call. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, one of the themes that we've discussed thus far on the show is is getting educated on this topic. If you have a loved one, if you have someone that you know where you're dealing with this on a regular basis, I imagine your book is a great place to start. Uh, yeah. Are there other books or resources that you would guide uh, people that are dealing with this issue in their families to? To read after they read your book. Yeah, immediately after, <laughs> I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Okay, well, this, the, the second stop? book is that I wrote is called uh, Sometimes I Act Crazy. Uh, for specific strategies, I think the third book might be the best, Talking to a Loved One with Borderline Personality. that talks really specific tra strategies on specific types of approaches. But nowadays... I Hate You Don't Leave Me was really the first book on this in this area. Um, I mean, it's 30 years old, but we've updated it since then. Um, other books, uh, he mentioned Randy Crager's books, sure. uh, Stop Walking on Eggshells is a good book. If you go on Amazon, you will see all of our books. Sure. And sometimes it's a matter of paging through and seeing what resonates uh, for you. Um, and I think seeing uh, therapists and psychiatrists and other and psychologists and social workers and others other psychotherapists who are familiar with this disorder can be really helpful because you also still have to deal with an ex-spouse if you're divorced like johnny was dealing sure. with mm -hmm. uh, or new relationships too and with your kids
Now, Dr. Christman, in it would people be encouraged to reach out to your practice specifically, or are there specific? Yeah, are there associations or something where you can find uh, doctors and specialists who who work in this area, so you don't wind up going to the doctor who says, "I, I don't know, I'll give him well butrin, we'll see how that goes for a couple of weeks." Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't specific. Uh, play there used to be yeah in, when we had some active treatment um, programs at the old St John's it's now mercy the pr- the problem with it is there are um it's it's uh, therapist intensive which is expensive sure so there aren't specific places I think they're going to just the local general chapters the Alliance for the Men- Med- mentally ill um, and said uh, independent centers some of the other local groups sometimes can refer you to people some of the centers uh, have done DBT programs, and there are several DBT uh, programs in, in town, too, that can be really helpful. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think one of the topics this brings up is, you know, in, in recent times, people are very excited about medications and neuroscience and brain things, but, but this is something that's more more treated by, by good psychotherapy, by, by good talk therapy. And that's uh, that, that's still a thing, even though psychiatrists like me and Dr. Christman, or at least especially me, mostly do p- the pill thing, you know. But uh, but but therapy is still very very important, and there's a lot of good help out there for some types of conditions. Absolutely, good old therapy. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Christman. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. Great yeah. job as your first uh, show in the host seat. Yay me! Woohoo! <laughs> if you missed anything on this show on borderline personality disorder, go to ionhealthradio.com. The podcast will be up there later this afternoon. And uh, thank you both for joining us. We'll be back next week on Ion Health FM News Talk ninety seven one. Get more at 971talk.com.